Hello everyone, it's Zach and Carl Carl today. Zach has a radio voice. I do. I don't think so. You have a radio voice. Oh, that's not a radio face, huh? Well, oh, everybody wait. has a radio face. I do have a radio face, never mind. TV face, whatever, y'all know what I mean. So we're back this week with uh, Nick Kamalatz. This is an excommunicated warrior. And I always feel a little special because he's signed mine in the parking lot. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, today we're going to go over... Uh, Does it make you feel special that he signed mine too? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today we're going over uh, basically... Get to Stage it. three. Stage three. The Bowl of Bad Emotions. So it starts on page 54 and this is... Um, I definitely think it's one of the heaviest chapters in the book, if not the heaviest so far. And we'll get into that. And we're going to also follow the reading plan this week because we strayed a little bit away from it, but we're going to stick to it for the most part. So I'm going to pass the microphone over to Carl now. Here you go. So what do you think was the main theme? Um, that everybody goes to the basically a bowl of bad emotions, but it's up to you kind of to make it or break it in a sense. Kind of, okay, are you basically going to sit and dwell on the thoughts of I should have, could have, would have, or this was owed to me? Are you going to basically do that? Or are you going to be like, okay, you know what? This happened. Let's keep going. Let's become successful in whatever aspect of our lives that we want to become successful in. Yeah, he says there are some very specific things that people uh, that people go through that are all the, the bad emotions that are in that bowl. Apathy, indifference, anger, detachment, lack of motivation. Um, all all things that, uh, that he says are pretty typical. Yeah. And... It's one of those things that people don't talk about. They don't want to talk about those kind of bad experiences. So I'm glad that he went through and talked about this. Uh, early in the chapter, he talks about um, that uh, we get messed up from being alone. So instead of hiding in distress like a wounded animal, we need to come together. So that's yeah. what he's talking about. When you're going through this, don't try to go through it alone. Because what happened, as he processed all this stuff alone, he let the anger and the detachment and all that stuff get worse, which damaged the relationship with his wife. It damaged their, his relationship with the kids. It uh, it made him despondent. And, mm. and and he feels like a lot of that could have been avoided if he had known it was coming and recognized it. So that's part of the reason why he wrote this. Yeah, and he even says on page 57, he said, the outside was not as, not at all as glamorous as I had thought. So um, kind of just recap what you just said. One of the big things that uh, that he hits on that is very common in a lot of veterans that I work with is anger. Yep. So he has a he, he talked about being angry as he left the military because uh, maybe he didn't get treated the way he wanted to be treated as he left, or maybe there were things that happened to him while he was on active duty that he keeps replaying in his mind that he wished would have gone a different direction, and he gets angry at other people for mm -hmm. it. And what he has to realize eventually is. He had to quit fueling the anger, and he had to take responsibility only for the things that he could affect. And yeah. stuff that happened in the past, that's in the past. So, yeah. uh, what uh, what's another? What's a big takeaway that you got from the reading? Um, I think just the overall aspect of you think that you if you're if you're a veteran with post traumatic stress or anything like that, you think all of this is just you that you are the only one that thinks. I'm the only one that is angry because of such and such and such. Or no one knows how it feels to be such and such and such. Whatever those aspects and those characteristics are, 
in this chapter it's clearly defined that you're not the only one going through it that there are other people out there who are experiencing similar or exact same feelings and thoughts and emotions and experiences overall um, despite whatever was the initial experience to to con conceive all of these things and so basically I, I, I what I'm trying to say is you're not alone the, everybody can feel like this mm -hmm. some people feel it more than others maybe but you're not alone in the way that you think or the way that you process things or whatnot. Um, yeah, that's good. Well, one of the takeaways that I got from it was um, don't play the victim. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> everything is somebody else's fault, mm -hmm. right? It's you, you got screwed over, somebody screwed you over, and, uh, and you let that take you down a path that can be pretty dark. And he says you have a choice, play the victim card and swallow it in or shrug that shit off and move forward. And uh, he says, at this stage, I wasn't able to see it because I was stuck in that bowl of bad emotions. Yeah. So I think that's huge. Uh, what about one more? Um, How about entitlement? Entitlement, that's big. Yeah, he talked about entitlement, right? Like mm -hmm. people owe you something because you volunteered to go into the military or they owe you yeah. something because you were a sergeant or a corporal or a I whatever. Was, I was gone. You know, I, I didn't see my daughter's or my son's birthday or I missed my wife's and mine anniversary or... Things like that, so you feel like you that sense of, of entitlement is there when it's hey, like Nick says eventually in the chapter says no, you're not entitled to anything, or I think it's like you're not entitled to shit, basically. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think it's fair. It's a harsh truth that some people need to be told. Definitely me, because I'm human. So I think every once in a while there's times like ah, maybe well. I there's a big tendency in the veteran community to feel entitled, right? Like you yeah. walk into a restaurant and say, hey, do you have a veteran discount? And uh, that's that's one thing that you know, I think it's great that veteran that that companies do that, but the restaurants that I go to the most, the ones that support us the most, like Meet You Anywhere Barbecue, where we do mm -hmm. the breakfast, I never ask for the veteran discount there anymore because they do so much by letting us meet there. Yeah. I I want them to make money, so yeah. so I don't ask for the discount yeah. there. You know, other places maybe I do, but yeah. I when uh, I encourage veterans to think about how can you thank somebody who helps veterans, yeah. and in a case of a restaurant like that. Hey, don't take that. Ask them, do you have yeah. a veteran discount? And they say, yeah. And then you say, well, thanks for doing that. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> Charge me the full price. Uh, They'll be like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> it's, it's a, I think it's like a synergistic opportunity. I mm -hmm. mean, you're, they're doing something for you. You're doing, you did something for them. But then at the same time, you're both able to win-win and grow from that to help a better cause. Maybe in our case, we do the veteran breakfast second Saturday every month. And we take over the whole back part of the restaurant. Yeah. They don't charge us anything for it. They let us use the TV. Yeah. And but because of that, we have an 80-year-old veteran that just recently joined us who was completely isolated, no friends, no family. The only person that he really talked to was the apartment manager uh, who was known for about 10 years. Now it's really about it. But, and if that apartment manager hadn't reached out, yeah. nobody would know he was there. But, you know, we picked him up. We took him to the breakfast. And then all of a sudden he had, you know, what, I think what you said was an Insta family. So, I mean, uh, he loved it. When I dropped him, off, dropped him off at his apartment, he was talking about, oh, yeah, this guy did this, and I did that, and I think we served the same unit. He was talking all about it. He was excited. But that came from somebody or an organization, in this case, Meet You Anywhere Barbecue, that was willing to help us out because we were helping each other out. So it just it benefits everybody, and that, you know, that's kind of co uh, correlates with the mission. You know, of the there business. are some things. You, we're straying a little bit from the book, but that's all right. One of the things that we have to remember is our lives are pretty full, right? You've got your daughter yeah. and and we have the climbing program and, and you're over here, we're working all the time. But you have somebody like Larry mm -hmm. that all he has is his apartment. Yeah. 
and he doesn't have any family, he hasn't made any friends, whatever's happened in the past to cause him, who knows, they all died, or maybe he was a butthead, or something happened, because it seemed like a bad guy, right. but he just, he's by himself. Yeah. So now this veteran breakfast can be like the highlight event every month that he looks forward to going and being around all those veterans again. And there are other veterans in every community out there that are retired, that are old, that probably Meals on Wheels serves, that are isolated. And I encourage anybody that's out there to go reach out. We've been talking to the Meals on Wheels folks here in our neighborhood, uh, and we still haven't gotten over the hump, but they say they want to do it, but we just got to make it happen. And that is, you know, if they have four or five veterans on their Meals on Wheels routes, well, by definition of them receiving Meals on Wheels, they're isolated. They can't get out and do stuff on their own. We need to go visit them. We need to make sure that they know they're remembered, and then we need to include them in things. So, I, um, all right, back to the book. Yeah, I want to kind of just, I, I don't want, I know we'll come back to the book, but I don't want to deter too much away from the reading plan. But a, a big part that Nick mentioned uh, towards the end of the chapter, he, uh, to quote him, he says, I did not even recognize myself in the mirror. <clears throat> like, I even think about it, I say that out loud or not, but I get a little choked up about it because... When I got home from Afghanistan, I was doing all the things that we did, experiences that we had, and this other start, other stuff started taking place, taking place in my head, and dreams and nightmares and whatnot. I remember I went to the the bathroom in my grandma's house, and I just lost it. I just destroyed, like nothing much, but I just threw towels on the ground. I broke the towel rack. I think I ended up putting like the the shower door off of the off of the uh, the rail. Just because I was so angry because I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, dude, whoever that was, the Zach that uh, left the Marine Corps or left to the Afghanistan is gone dead. And I was so distraught and just so like, like, um, like suffering and so much pain. I just hate and anger was just all that could basically, it just consumed me. That's all it really was. I mean, the whole Star Wars thing, you know, hate leaves of suffering and all that stuff. It, I felt like it was almost true. And, and then that right now reading this chapter, there's almost like a relief. To know that I'm not the only one I was like that. Now, granted, I have gone over that stage in my life, but it's still a painful thought and a painful uh, memory that I have. And what did you do to compensate for that? Uh, what does Nick say everybody does? The the um, self medicating. Me- yeah, self medicating. The the cocktail. You you know, here's a pill for waking up. Here's a pill for your dreams. Here's a pill for your pain. Here's one for uh, your anxiety. All that kind of stuff. And you just medicate, and then eventually you just like. And on top of that, you're drinking. Yeah, and then you're just not living life, but you're existing. You're breathing, and you're alive, and your eyes are awake, so everyone thinks you're okay. But it, and yeah, just it goes it gets bad. Um, yeah. So he says uh, he says at the end of the, the chapter that uh, one of the things about alcohol is it doesn't allow you to get into your rapid eye movement, your REM sleep, and if you're taking sleep aids like Ambien, Lunesta, or whatever else, they don't get you into REM. And REM is the most important part that you need for your body and your brain to recover. Mm -hmm. And so you go a long period of time in that sleep deprivation mode, you can't think clearly. You don't communicate clearly. Everything just gets worse. And for him, he says, I was rapidly circling the drain and washing it down with a bottle of Johnny Walker. So the next one we're going to talk about, stage four, circling the drain. All right, so Zach and Carl, we are reviewing Excommunicate a Warrior, The Seven Stages of Transition by Nick Kumalatsos. You can get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So or do it. Nickkumalatsos.com, I think, too, right? I think you can, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, go to Raider Project's uh, website. I think they probably have information out yep. there, too. All right. We hope uh, you enjoy this. Give us some feedback. Let us know if you like it. And keep tuning in. Uh, last note, be brave, be bold, be gallant.